on 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton, and it's a, a real privilege via the wonders of Zoom to have a chat to Daniel C. today. He is from Space Makers and also this new book, Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no, great to have uh, time here, Clayton. Well, let's have a, a chat, first of all, a bit about you before we uh, get a bit of practical tools and understanding and some principles about why we do need to unplug and unwind it. I think probably intrinsically, we all know we, we, we need to in some way, shape or form, but you've put some great thought to this. Let's start with who you are. How do you describe yourself? Because you've, you've got a, a few, you know, irons in the each fire as you go around. How do you describe yourself? Yeah, I have a number of hats. Uh, so I'm a father of three young kids uh, from high school to primary school. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a business owner. I run a productivity training coaching company, uh, mainly working in Hobart, but also Melbourne and elsewhere through Zoom. And I'm also a pastor of a church community called Together Church in Hobart. So a number of hats, that's correct. So, Daniel, do you sleep at any stage? That's what I want to know. I sleep really well and I have really good boundaries on my time, uh, which is partly why I wrote the book. I mean, I am definitely drawn towards overwork and being over busy. But over the years, you know, having nearly burnt out many years ago and having, I suppose, looked at my values and who I am and what I really care about, uh, there's definitely time for sleep and, and rest and exercise and family but I also have to work really hard at what it looks like, like all of us, to put the things in first that matter most. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I don't do so well. Yeah, yeah. Like, like all of us, exactly right. Um, maybe we just <laughs> briefly start on, on the organisation that you're, you, you're run, running. Um, explain what that is and where you saw the need for it. Yeah. So look, we started this about a decade ago. It's called Space Makers. And really the heart is that busy people need space in their life. I could see in my own life that the thing I craved for most was time to think and rest and relate to loved ones and plan and just do things in a non-reactive way. And I just saw that people around me, you know, business people, leaders, workers, managers, they just needed more space. And it's such an odd idea to be, you know, I don't know, selling space <laughs> as uh, in that way, but but what, what it is, is I just, I think we really need to be able to carve out time for what really matters. And, and increasingly now it's time away from digital technology, but back then it was, you know, tech as well as emails, as well as, you know, just making sure we put time in our life so we could focus on what yeah. really mattered. So that's, that's really where the business came from. Yeah. Um, before we talk a bit about um, how that then has also led to this book and what you're, you're trying to encapsulate in that, can I just spend a little bit of time around, um, you know, you, you said you're a pastor as well, and some may go, oh, really, a pastor who's a business owner? Well, that's that's interesting. From your perspective, how did your faith and your understanding of your faith impact your desire to work through the business in this way too? Yeah, look, I do see a great connection between what I do in business and what I do in church. Uh, I mean, both are really an expression of my faith. So I've come to the conclusion that in the kingdom of God, you know, when, when the heaven comes to earth and we experience new life, we're not going to be busy in the way that we are now. There will be space to rest and think and be together. And, and so I think space is a kingdom principle. 
even though we wouldn't normally use those words in a biblical sense. But I think the heartbeat of what we're looking for, silence and peace and solitude, uh, that's very much a biblical thing, even though I don't use those terms in business so much. And at the same time, uh, our church is called Together Church, so we're really passionate about community and about helping people connect in genuine ways, so eating and praying and learning and serving together in what we call micro churches or missional communities in houses um, and around the place. So I, I see a lot of links, uh, helping people connect relationally, spiritually, and obviously learning how to work in a way that uh, really fills people up rather than drags them down. Yeah. Love that. Um, so you've been working in this space for 10 years. Uh, you've been working with a, a team as well. And you thought, you know what, I think the next one is to actually start putting out a book with it. Was there a, a, a spur to say that it's time for, for a book, for sort of a manual for people to grab a hold of and at least read through and, and grab some stuff? Or was it just a, well, it's been enough time now I've got enough things to put into a book. How did it come about? Yeah, look, I usually suggest to people, if you take on a big project, you really need to think at the front end, do you have the kind of, do you have enough in you to get over the dip and get to the other side and to plan it well and to think well? And I didn't do any of that when I wrote my book. Uh, I had an ABC radio interview about a blog post I put out, which was about why I turn off my phone for a day a week uh, as a digital Sabbath or a digital rest. And that was a decade ago, nearly. It was, it was quite a radical idea back then that digital technology might become a problem if we overused it. And so I thought, well, that was that gained so much interest, that simple blog post. I thought, why don't I write a small ebook, 20 pages, it'll take me two weeks. Uh, and then seven years later, I finished the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, always the way in those senses, isn't it? As you went through that, Daniel, was it the seven year journey because you kept discovering new things that would be valuable and you understood it? Or was it that things kept changing. We, we understand in the world that we're in, there's a lot of change that occurs uh, at the time, or was it perhaps again, a mix of both of those? Yeah, it was one of those, like you pull a piece of string and then you pull the next bit and you pull the next bit. Because at first my 20 page ebook was like, what are some simple practices and habits that we can use to put down our phone, unplug as a rhythm and have a bit of space in our life if we're constantly online. But the more I examined the research and looked at multitasking, the more I coached clients and started to look at this from broader perspectives, I came to the conclusion that you can tell people how to turn off their phone for an hour at a time, for example, or, you know, don't charge your phone in your bedroom, but start and end the day without technology. I mean, they're very simple habits, but most of us really struggle to do these things. And there was something deeper going on behind the habits and that's where I started to examine things deeply. Uh, so I realized that unless we can re-examine our relationship with the online world and why we're drawn to it, uh, unless we can understand it from a neurophysiological point of view, I used to be a physiotherapist, so I looked at it from science, uh, from a theological point of view, from a, a technological and cultural point of view, unless we can really reshape our paradigm and understand why we're so drawn to our tools, then it's very hard to do the simple practices of unplugging. So, so the book really examines very deeply why are we so drawn to our tools from many perspectives? How do we change our mind? How do we recalibrate our, uh, our habits based on knowing our, va our values and, and healthy values that line, align with reality? And, and, then, and then the last bit are some practices, which again have been tried and tested over seven years. So yes. I know they work.
And, and we want to cover off a, a deeper discussion of all of those in just a couple of moments' time. We're going to come back after a song. But before we just do on that, Daniel, I wanted to ask you the question around um, is the first step in this saying, okay, um, I, I recognise the, the issue or the problem, however we want to frame it, of overuse, or is it actually, as you've commented there, the first step to actually go and analyse what I'm doing? Do you, do you need one to be able to start the other, as it were, or can you, you start them independently? Yeah, look, I think they work at different angles. I agree with you on that. Uh, I mean, Christians talk about the idea of a metanoia, which means repent, and it just means to change your mind. So I think the first step is to recognize that if I'm experiencing digital overuse, so if I'm feeling wired and tired, anxious, constantly overwhelmed, I'm, I'm sitting on the toilet doing my phone and, and you know, I want to I wanna connect with my kids, but all I can think about is how many hearts on Instagram or likes on Facebook. If I'm experiencing that kind of that that distraction that comes from always wanting to be online, that's a good start to say, hey, maybe I need a metanoia. Maybe I need to reframe my my thinking. Uh, and, and obviously um, that comes to the point of where we need to self-reflect and work out, well, what are our habits and what are our beliefs and our values and how do they play out in the way in which I connect with this wonderful thing called technology, which I love, but that we can use in the wrong ways sometimes. Yeah. Daniel C is my guest. He's the author of the book Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. We're going to be back to talk through some of those key principles of what it means to look at our technology. And we're also going to ask him some of those hints and tips of what we can do in real practical ways on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. Daniel C is my guest. He is the author of the book Spacemaker, How to Unplug, Unwind and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. As we've been hearing, uh, Daniel is a, a dad, husband, he's a pastor, he, he runs his own business with his team at Spacemakers and now an author as well. And we're talking about uh, digital technology, as we said, how, how to start unwinding in this space and the value of that. Before we go on anymore, Daniel, um, you're not actually saying technology is bad, right? Because I think that there are some people who end up sort of that's their their platform. Technology is just bad. Get rid of it. You're not actually saying that, right? No, not at all. I mean, I, I love digital technology. I'm on it constantly. I mean, I have my podcast and mic right now. We're talking online in a different state and recording this interview. And, and really, my life is absorbed by different tools and tech. So I, I think technology is great. Uh, but the problem is when it starts to draw away from our humanity and when we find that technology... Um, pulls us away from the things we truly value and where we start to be a bit less human. So um, what I've found as a productivity coach and trainer, there's some people who actually avoid technology. They don't want, they don't want the apps. They, they don't want to learn the tech skills. They don't want to get tech savvy. And they'll actually uh, struggle to be truly productive in most workplaces nowadays because a bit of technology will absolutely increase our productivity. But then if you think about a graph, it goes up. A bit of technology increases your productivity. But then if you continue, more apps, more iPhones, more smartwatches, they spend more and more time online, you get this plateau effect where uh, a little bit more technology doesn't increase your personal productivity gains, you just plateau. But then what's interesting, and this is what I see in the multitasking research and in my coaching experience, is that if you continue, you know, you're online 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours a day, uh, you're constantly flipping from one app to the next, you're integrating everything, 
uh, you just have so much tech in your life, then you actually slide down the what I call the right hand side of the inverted U curve. So you slide down the other side of the curve. And that's the area where we call it digital overuse. And digital overuse is where you use more technology, but you lose productivity because you get more done. You're doing stuff, but it's distracting. Uh, you're not achieving the most important things. You don't have the time to plan or think deeply and you start to experience personal challenges and relational challenges because you're online too much. And we know Zoom fatigue is an example yeah. of feeling that overuse. And so I believe that to be truly productive, we now need habits of using technology well. So I call that the habits of pace, but we also need the habits of making space, which are the habits to unplug and unwind and slow down our use from time to time as a habit in order to get back to that productive middle. So yeah, it's not anti-tech at all. We just have to not use it too much. Yeah, it's great. Uh, something you talked about, and I'd like to spend this section of our chat focusing on it as well. A bit earlier on, you talked about the fact that uh, you sort of look at technology and the use of it in this digital space and you know, unplugging, unwinding, thinking clearly during this digital age through three sort of prisms. One is the prism of sort of science, uh, theology or spirituality, I suppose, is another way of saying that, and mm. sort of culturally as well. Can we just spend a little bit of time on each of those, maybe starting with the science? Yeah, sure. So look, I used to be a physiotherapist uh, many years ago, or 10 years ago, and I spent a lot of time doing outpatient clinics. I remember this is this is the, the the analogy I thought of as I was writing my book. Uh, a lady called Susan came into my outpatient clinic and she was walking in sideways like a crab. So her neck was twisted 30 degrees to the right. And I asked her why she was like that. And she said she'd had a car accident and uh, she'd had whiplash and had been in a collar for a long time. And so Susan had learnt to just walk around with her neck to one side. And when she took her collar off, she just continued that way. But when I turned her head to the left and the right and did a bunch of subjective examination tests, I found that her neck actually could straighten and she didn't actually have a lot of pain. It wasn't that stiff. And so I tried to work out what was going on and I stood her in front of a mirror. I got her to close her eyes and turn her head both ways. And then I said, keep your eyes closed and put your head straight and open your eyes. She did that and she opened her eyes with her neck 30 degrees to the right. So we call that proprioception in the sense of the neck and the mind had changed to the point where what she thought was straight was no longer straight. Uh, and with some correction and practice, we got her to re reshape her mind. But I, I think digital tech does that in terms of neuroplasticity. The average Australian is now online nine to 10 hours a day. The average American 12 hours a day, the average office worker in Australia 12 hours a day. And we're practicing the internet so much that it is deeply shaping the way our brains are wired. Uh, we see this in terms of MRIs with people who multitask. And, and what happens when our brains change is we actually lose the ability to work out whether we're straight or whether we've gone off center. And I actually think many of us are experiencing the symptoms of digital overuse, but we struggle to recognize it because our center has changed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. And I, I kind of think if, if you were to play that, well, I used to play the piano and I was terrible at it. I still have to apologize to my parents for how much I fought for like 20 minutes of practice, you know, five days a week. But if, if I had practiced piano 
nine hours a day, like it would totally change me as a person. It would, because our brain adapts to our repetitive habits and behaviors, right? And so what I practice shapes my thinking, neurons strengthen, pathways expand, and I start to think and act in particular ways and I create habitual responses. So if I was to do 12 hours of piano, I would be an officiano. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that's not the word, but anyway. But yeah, well, we know uh, it's and yet if we did the internet for 10, 12 hours a day, which most of us are, it does form a sense of neurological practice and it shapes us. And so all I'm saying is we need to have times when we're not practicing the internet to allow our brains to form in other ways so that we have a well-rounded brain and a well-rounded humanity. Yeah, which leads us to that next take and understanding, which is around that sort of theological and spiritual understanding of what it means to be using technology. Um, and now some might go, sorry, how on earth is spirituality and theology actually come into this? But for you, there, there is a definite connection. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, look, uh, do, you, do you mind if I quote some scripture? Because I think that's where I started this journey. Yeah, go uh, I was reading Psalm 1. I was reading Psalm 115, which is a psalm, uh, a poem that talks about worship and idolatry. Uh, and it says, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does what pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but can't speak, eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, noses but can't smell, etc. Uh, and I read that and that's a passage about idolatry. It's a passage about the idea that we tend to craft something. So imagine being in Mesopotamia, you know, 600 BC and... Uh, a person goes into the forest and gets some wood and then carves it in the shape of a fish or an animal or a person. And it becomes their little God, their household God. And uh, over time, when they feed it and talk to it and worship it and interact with this statue, it, it kind of gains spiritual meaning and they put their love and their longings into this idol. And eventually it's very hard for them to see that this is just a piece of wood. It's actually part of them and it shapes their patterns and their behaviors. And when I started to think theologically about how we use our devices, I started to realize that actually our devices aren't that dissimilar. We pour in our loves and our longings and we love things through our phones. And then I wrote a little targum, which is like a... Um, I don't know, my own translation. This is the new Daniel translation of Psalm 115. So I'll read it out and I think you'll get what I mean. Uh, so why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Their idols are lithium, cobalt, glass made by human hands. They have cameras, but can't see. Siri, but cannot speak. They have touch screens, but cannot feel. 5G mobility, but cannot walk. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. <laughs> and when I put that together, I just thought, this is me. This is why I struggle to, to put my phone down. This is why I'm checking my email constantly at night because, and on the weekends because my work is, is my idol. This is why I'm constantly checking the news, and, and I, I just can't. No, I can't focus on what's in front of me. I was in digital overuse and I realized a lot of it is because my loves and my longings had been drawn into this thing called a phone and I needed to find a way of disconnecting in order to um, not be mastered by my own tool. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. feels like that, that the, the, you know, the loves that we were 
going through it, it now became the object as well as the the, the loves that we can achieve through it, it itself has become that, which sort of leads us to our, our third part, which you talked about very well as well, which is the, the sort of the cultural understanding of digital technology and, and the, the prism that you look through for that. Could you talk into that too? Yeah, so I mean, the theory of technology is really interesting. I, I originally thought that uh, it's the apps we use and the design of, let's say, Facebook and the addictive nature that primarily causes us to want to connect with our devices. And I, I agree with that. There's definitely an addictive nature to our tools and we need to be really cautious of, of what apps we use and how we use them. But there was a, a media theorist uh, a long time ago who talked about the medium is the message, a guy called uh, McLuhan. And, and he basically said that it's not so much it's not so much, well, he was talking about the television at the time. It's not so much the programs that we watch that shape us. You can be a conservative or a progressive and watch different programs, but we're, we're not shaped as much by the content as we're shaped by the medium itself. Because when you put a television in the room, it changes the family, it changes the family dynamic. Uh, it changes our interaction with each other and it changes our interaction with the world around us. Who influences us? You know, nowadays it's national rather than the person next door. And so the actual ideas embedded in the television itself, this is, this is the original device, actually shape us more than the message. Uh, and so well, more than, more than the, um, the, the programs. And, and so there are ideas embedded in the tools we use. Uh, the, the mobile phone was designed to let businessmen work away from home. And so then when we all adopt the mobile phone, we start to wonder why work seems to be drawing into our home life. Uh, the iPhone was actually designed on the idea of multitasking, that you can have multiple apps happening at all the same time. Steve Jobs said it's an iPhone, it's an iPod, it's a, it's a phone, it's an iPod, it's an internet communicator, and all of these things happen at the same time. But when we use a tool where the fundamental idea is multitasking, then we can't really get confused or wonder why we start to multitask and yet our brain don't work in the same way as digital technology. So all I'm saying is that there are ideas embedded in our tools and we need to understand those ideas in order to then shape our habits around them really yeah. wisely. Yeah. You've mentioned multitasking a couple of times and, and almost in the sense of a negative connotation and maybe I'm, I'm framing that wrong. Can I just get you to talk through your opinion on multitasking? Yeah, so multitasking is fantastic if it's your iPhone. You can open up your calendar and you can be WhatsApping and looking at the news and it all works at the same time. Uh, but from a neurological perspective, humans actually can't multitask. It's not that I'm negative about it. It's just not possible. Uh, so what we do when we are, let's say, moving from one thing to the next to the next, we're flipping our attention from one thing to the next really quickly, a bit like a metronome, and giving partial attention to everything. Now, look, you can sing in the shower and that's not multitasking because you can have automatic things that kind of function at the same time, but you can't do a mathematical equation and then write an email and do that simultaneously. The brain is simply not capable, male or female, no one can do it. And so what multitasking really is, is it is training yourself to need the ability to flip one thing and have partial attention constantly and you lose the ability to have what Cal Newport says is deep work, the ability to focus on one thing, to complete it well, to think deeply and to rest fully 
if, if we're always flipping from one thing then to the next, we train our brains to need constant attention, constant distraction, and it actually causes us to suffer over time. So yeah, I'm negative about humans multitasking if that's, if that's the way you always work. I have yeah. a few days a week where I decide I'm just doing emails and small stuff and I'm happy to flip quickly. But if I'm going to write a book, I need to turn off my internet. Uh, if I'm going to hang out and play board games with my kids, I need to put my phone down. And so we need to single task uh, as a habit when that matters most. Yeah. Uh, just try um, you know, writing an email and trying to also concentrate on what your child's telling you about their day at school. Uh, it, it, I cannot possibly do it. No, I'm just trying to do this, mate. I will get to you or whichever way. I have to just decide on one, right? You can't do both at the same time. Uh, my guest is Daniel C. He is the author of the book, Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. We're going to be back. Our final part, now this is the part we've been waiting for. What are some of those practical tips that we can actually put into place straight away to help us unplug, unwind and think clearly? Daniel is going to give us those next here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton and Daniel C. He is the author of the book, Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. He also heads up Space Makers as well. Um, it's been fascinating study, uh, uh, sorry, chat, just hearing what you have studied and, and look through, Daniel. And we, if you just joined us, we talked about this idea that technology is not bad. It's just how we use it that's the key. And uh, we looked at it through the prism of science, through theology, spirituality and and culturally as well, um, which leads us to the bit that I'm sure everyone's hanging out for, Daniel, we, the practical tips, the things we can actually do to help us unplug, unwind and think clearly. Uh, you can't go through everything. That's why you've written a book. But maybe could you give us three three practical things we can put into place? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I like looking at it from the lens of annual and weekly and daily practices. So the annual ones are about setting up the scene so that you've got space in your life to think and rest, even if... Uh, you're pretty addictive day, addicted day by day. And so the annual one annual practice, which I really like, is booking your holidays before you book your work. And that sounds super simple, but I think 40% of people who work 45 hours or more a week can't take holidays, don't take their holidays because they say they're too busy to take their holidays. Mm -hmm. So I'd say at the start of every year, let's say January, lock in all of your annual leave in advance. Make sure you pattern it so it's uh, timed with points in your year where you're likely to be tired and where you've historically been exhausted and actually think about how you can truly rest in the way you use your holidays. So that's one very practical thing. Might be a simple tool, but I'm surprised at how many people say, wow, actually locking in my holidays first before I let any work commitment enter my calendar has actually helped. So that's one simple practice. Uh, on a daily perspective, I'll jump daily because the weekly is a bit harder, but the daily perspective, there's lots of what I call daily pauses. So you just have six minutes or 10 minutes where you just pause from technology and have some space to think, rest or unplug and unwind. Uh, so one daily pause I really like, we've talked about this already, is charge your phone outside of your bedroom. And so end the day with a bit of a power down routine where you read a book or write in your diary Someone I, I heard of recently writes a small story of their day every day in their journal, but basically have time to reconnect with others or yourself uh, or, you know, God, if you're a faith person without a phone. And then in the morning, wake up and don't start with, you know, 
COVID-19 and Donald Trump and virus kind of counts. Don't, t- don't turn on the radio unless you listen to Clayton and, <laughs> uh, and um, have, have a break, you know, and just think your own thoughts instead of someone else's thoughts just for 10 minutes before you turn on your phone. So that's one simple habit. Yeah. Uh, another daily pause that I really like is no phones at dinner. And if you can have a meal with people you care about once a day with no devices, the research is amazing. Um, the research says that if you do that, uh, say you have a 12-year-old daughter, she'll end up with higher grades, less likely to be pregnant as a teenager, less likely to get onto drugs, less debt when she's older. Like Just eating together is game changer, but it needs to not be with screens because you need to talk to each other and ask each other questions and just listen to each other. So yeah. that's that's another daily pause. And, and what a remarkable thing if you said to a parent, hey, look, would you you like your kids to get better grades, uh, not not end up pregnant, uh, less debt, have better. Um, I, I can give you the one tip on that. And I mean, every parent would be begging for that. And, and here it is. It's just eating together without simple. technology. Yeah, that's it's right. It's simple. I, I think exercise and eating dinner with a family are the two keystone habits that unlock heaps of other stuff. Yeah. But I mean, exercise is hard. But eating dinner is easy. And the thing about dinner is it doesn't matter what you feed them. So you can feed them frozen pizza or organic, I don't know, broccolini. And the research says you get the same outcomes because it's about interaction with people you care about without distraction. So it's an easy habit. Eat together and enjoy it. Yeah. Love that. All right. Now let's get to your weekly one because you said it was a bit tougher, (laughs) but uh, it sounds, sounds intriguing. The weekly one is the one that I think is a total game changer. It's the hardest to implement and it's the one that's given us in our family and people I've seen uh, who implement it get the most life out of it. Uh, I call it the weekly day of rest in the book. Uh, I also call it a digital Sabbath to friends I know who have faith. And essentially, it's about having a day of rest once a week. But in our day and age, when we think about the question, what is work and what is rest, And it has to usually involve a change in the way we use our technologies. Because for me, when I work, I swipe swipe a screen, I communicate using the internet, uh, I flip between different devices and that's my work. And what I found is that I was doing the same thing at rest, just I was moving, scanning Instagram and Facebook and Netflix uh, or the news, but my brain can't tell the difference neurologically between the two. And so I realized that if I was to truly have a day of rest to experience what I think is deep rest, which is really hard to experience in our day and age, not just a day off, but true restorative rest, then I needed to not work. And that involved not just not being at the office or even not just being, uh, you know, at home, but it needed to not be online. Mm. And so I have a 24 hour period once a week from Friday night for me to Saturday night. I do that because I'm a pastor and I work Sundays. Uh, and and I do that as my way of disconnecting from work and truly resting and focusing on what matters most. Uh, yeah. And so we do that as a family. We have a few rituals. Uh, I In the book, I talk about how to design a day of rest without technology, how to plan the day, how to create a ritual where you flip from work mode to rest mode. For us, it's candles and a bit of prayer and and asking questions, talking about our high, our low and our buffalo, a, a weird event from the day. So a ritual, uh, 
you need to plan so that you actually cannot do the dishes and you don't have to cook on your day of rest and then work out what do you do so what do you do to rest and what don't you do so what are the no's that look like work and then how do you disconnect from technology so if you have a really strong plan uh, that works for introverts and extroverts how do you do this together it's possible to make your days off so rich so valuable and so restful in a way that is really hard to experience without a bit of intentionality and planning and that's that's what i believe is worth putting into your week yeah wow what a, what a great challenge but incredible benefit out of that as well both the the yearly the the daily and the, the weekly as well um daniel we wish you all the best with this book and we hope that it's going to help so many people's lives as they they truly do make space as they unplug as they unwind and they think clearly in this uh, digital age as well thank you for sharing your, your research, your experience, and some of your advice with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. See you later. Daniel C., he is the author of the book, Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age here on 89.9 The Light.